0: go to the Wharton to watch a musical they're going to give you a program and somewhere among the boundless advertisements you'll find a first page on that first page uh, you will have a synopsis of the play that you are about to watch a hint at the plot an introduction ...of the key characters that you're going to be seeing. This is intended to give you a heads up... ...as to what is to follow. But you know when Jesus told a story... ...in the New Testament called a parable... ...He rarely gave anyone a heads up. Seldom did He give you a hint at the plot. For His stories were designed to cause a surprise... But I find sometimes the gospel writers do give us a heads up. For instance, in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verse 1, we have that verse on the screen. Uh, Luke introduces a parable to Jesus, uh, a parable of Jesus, by giving us the purpose. He says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, Jesus never said those words. He jumped right into his story, and this is what his audience heard. There was this powerful, God-hating judge, and there was this oppressed, powerless widow. And right away, when you hear those things, you know who the good guy is, actually the good gal, and the bad guy, and you know who's going to win. However, in this story, what usually happened in the courts of justice in that day did not happen and the widow won, which was a huge surprise. And of course, the purpose of the parable was to teach us that when when we pray, we should not give up, even though we often think the odds are greatly against us. Now, Luke does the same thing a few verses later. Verse 9 of Luke 18, same chapter. He says, to some of those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. That's why Jesus told this parable. Again, I remind you, his audience never heard those words. Jesus just jumped right into the story and said, Two men went to the temple to pray. And then he says one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now we're still talking about parables regarding prayer. But now the focus is a little bit different. And right away we know who the bad guy is. Right? It's got to be the Pharisee. Because Jesus never missed an opportunity... To level those guys with both barrels. Jesus was always reprimanding the Pharisees. And he called them hypocrites. Yet if you were there that on that wonderful afternoon. When Jesus told the parable or evening. Whatever it was. Had you been in the first audience? You would have thought otherwise. Because the Jewish people loved their religious leaders. Think about it, the Pharisees were formed during the Maccabean Revolt... ...150 years before Jesus came to the scene. And this is when the outward powers were trying to control that area. And the real patriots stood up. And the Pharisees were formed. And when they were told they couldn't pray, they prayed. When they were told they couldn't go to the temple, they still would worship. And they were heroes. In the eyes of most good and decent people, this was the cream of the crop, the best of Jewish society. These individuals were laymen, the Pharisees were, who devoted their life to allowing their religious beliefs to dominate everything they said and everything they did. Honest men. If they gave you their word, you could take it to the bank. These are the people you wanted to live next to you as neighbors. And the people you would try to vote in for office. And these are the people you'd want your sister to marry. The Pharisees. They're the good guys. On that first telling of the parable. And the bad guys are clear. Clearly the tax collectors. These sleazy guys who were considered by most decent people to be the scum of the earth. They were corrupt. Their moral standards were lower than the the Dead Sea. These individuals were hired by Rome to take taxes from their own people and given the ability to charge whatever the market would allow, and it would allow a lot. Greed was the name of the game. Extortion is how they lived and they padded their own bank accounts by abusing other people, abusing other people to make a buck. I suppose kind of like modern drug dealers today. They were hated. Now you and I often cut the tax collectors some slack, right? Because when Jesus came on the scene, many of these people heard him gladly. He even chose one to be one of his disciples, a guy by the name of Matthew. And in the next chapter chapter in Luke, he's going to save one by the name of Zacchaeus, to the shock and surprise of everyone around. And so now we begin to back off and say, well, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? But I want you to know that it was not ambiguous on that first day. The good guy was the Pharisee. And the bad guy was the tax collector. And this is a parable about the contrast of the way we pray. When Jesus jumped into the story, he said, two men went to the temple to pray. That's verse 10. And he lets us know who they are. And then in the very next verse, he begins to talk about the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee gets to go first. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And then he probably peaked in his prayer. Or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Now let's examine that prayer of the Pharisee first of all notice his position he stood probably in a very conspicuous place his position was obvious in fact in a way he wanted to draw attention verse 13 says that he and the tax collector had a great distance between them And it seems as though the tax collector barely got in the door, the precincts of the temple, which would imply that this guy was probably up near the front, close to the altar, where he deserved to be. And his prayer, at first, doesn't sound too bad. God, I thank you. Except notice his audience (laughs) was himself. The Pharisee stood up and prayed to himself. I'm convinced that many times the audience of our prayers are the people who are gathered around us. And many prayers are aimed more at man's ears than God. We want to inform our friends what we've done. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that I'm witnessing to John. I've been talking to John for several days. Lord, I've sacrificed a lot of time. I just pray, Lord, that you'll open up John's heart. Well... Maybe that's more for the people around you, to let them know all that you've done. His prayer was passionate and he gave a nod to God. But maybe a paraphrase of his prayer might sound something like this. I thank you that I've not yielded to the corruption in my life around me like the unchurched people do. Have you ever heard these prayers? in our church, at a prayer meeting or Bible study? And maybe you didn't hear it because you were praying it. I mean, this is our tendency. And in a sense, we can thank God for the grace that has kept us from falling into deep sin, but grace is, is quickly replaced and abused by this proclamation of our own goodness now he rejoices in his own goodness he boasts of his performance and what is interesting is that everything he says that he has done is greater than the law requires so he says I fast twice a week the law only requires to fast once a year in the Day of Atonement this is better than the law and To give a tenth of all that he gets. Now the Old Testament talked about giving a tenth of everything. But it appears that the Pharisees at the end of the year would take in all of their income. And then give uh, uh, another tenth on top of what they gave throughout the year. In addition to. And of course they would ring bells when they dropped their money in the offering plate. Matthew 6 says they would stand on street corners to make people, make sure people heard them. Ah, there's something wrong about this prayer. He's standing in the temple, in the presence of God. And he thinks that what matters among men matters to the Almighty. In the presence of God. He has the audacity to tell God how good he is. And now we see what Luke is getting at in verse 9. This is all about some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. The mark of self-righteousness is to lift up yourself while you put everyone else down. How ridiculous it is to think that when we expose the vices of others, we create virtue in ourselves. How ridiculous it is to, to think that when I make someone else smaller, I'm making myself greater. Oh, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like those Republicans. Wow. I'm glad I'm not like those Democrats. Wow. It's a very easy thing to slip into, isn't it? I don't know if you'll admit that you've been there, but I have. And by the way, this parable is not intended just for the Pharisees. If you look at the context in verse 1, he was talking to his disciples. After this, he's still talking with disciples. I think he's talking to anyone who's confident in their own righteousness and loves to put other people down. It's just that the Pharisee is a good example of that in this situation. He quickly turns God's grace into personal accomplishment. By the way, if you are different than anyone else with gifts that might be stronger, If God Almighty has allowed you to do some things that no other people have done, it's not you. Surprise. (laughs) It's God and his grace. He regarded himself as distinct, better than all the rest. I thank you that I'm not like others. And then, of course, he had a good example close by. Haddon Robinson said, The smell from this text is the stench of human arrogance. And the stench that turns your stomach is the smell of grace gone sour. The problem with the Pharisee is he had a good eye on himself, a bad eye on his neighbor, and no eye on God. And he was in the temple. And he was praying. Sometimes our religious activities reveal the depths of our soul greater than anything else. People say, well, the church is filled with hypocrites. And they justify their absence because of that. I'm glad I'm not one of them. We pray, South Church is doing pretty well. I'm so glad we're not like the other churches. Whoops! Then the tax collector prays. This is verse 13. He stood at a distance. Notice his stance. Probably just barely inside the door. And he would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast. What does that mean? The beating of the breast, it's a sign of mourning. It's a a sign of humility. It's a sign of brokenness. In fact, it's in the present tense, which means he just kept beating his breast. One guy prayed exalting himself and one guy prayed humbling, humbling himself. Charles Erdman, as he studies this text, says that the original implies that the tax collector regarded himself also as distinct from other people. He said, I am the sinner. Not just a sinner, but I'm the sinner. You know, had I been there, I think I would have started off my prayer and said something like this. Lord, I'm glad that I'm not self-righteous like that guy over there. But he didn't. His only concern was God, and his only prayer was regarding his sin and God's mercy. His audience, that's clear from the text, isn't it? He wouldn't lift up his eyes, but he was addressing God. And acknowledging his sin. You say, but you know, that's easy for a guy like that. He really deserves it. He's really bad. I'm glad I'm not like... Whoops. (laughs) We all are. We all are. Yeah, this parable is not so much about the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's about you and me. And how often we pray like a Pharisee instead of praying like the tax collector we think that some of our attempts for God you know have been pretty decent overall and we're not as bad as other people so that should give us some credit it's like a two robbers uh, robbed a bank and they were caught 10 minutes later one wore a mask and another didn't and there was this was before covid so wearing a mask meant something different isn't it funny when a person used to walk into a store wearing a mask you were in trouble now if you walk in without one you're in trouble <laughs> this one guy wore a mask and the other didn't in the robbery they both got caught just a short time later and the defense of the one guy who didn't wear a mask was, hey, I didn't wear a mask, at least I was open and wasn't trying to hide what I was doing. <laughs> now that might work with a New Jersey judge, but they were in Texas. And it didn't work with the Texas judge. And it's not going to work with God either. Hey, I, I'm better than so-and-so. that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus. Now how do you rate? When you realize you're in the presence of God, you're always more aware of how far you have to go than how far you've come. You're always more aware of your failure and sin than you are of your victories and your triumphs. And even those are due to the grace of God. And he was begging for mercy. Begging for mercy. That's why he was beating his breast. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. Oh God. I need mercy. And all of us do that. All of us do. It's interesting when we studied the book of Job a while back. We notice that Job held his ground and never confessed his sin until the end of the book. And then he sees God. And when Job sees God, he sees himself. And when he sees himself, he sees his need. And when he sees his need, he cries out for mercy. And he never forgot that vision of God. Isaiah, the wonderful, righteous, godly prophet of the Old Testament, when he saw God in chapter 6, he said, Woe is me, I'm unclean and undone. Probably more righteous than any of us. And the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I am the worst of sinners. And again, that was said in the present text. He wasn't talking about his past. He was talking about his present. I thank God for his grace because I am the chief of sinners. The closer you get to God, the greater you see your need. So we shouldn't look only at our own defects. We should, but then confess them. We shouldn't. Focus on the faults of others. Humility comes from looking at God. And seeing your need and never getting over it. I am a sinner. Today I am a great sinner. And Jesus is a great savior. And I need his mercy. Two men went to the temple that day. One went to brag and the other to pray. One stood up close with his head held high. The other dared not lift up his eyes. One nearer to the altar trod. The other to the altar's God. One realized it was all about prayer. Now, I love it when Jesus does this, and it doesn't always happen, but Jesus has the last word in this parable. Luke gave us clarity as to what what was to come, and now Jesus, in verse 14, makes us sure that we don't misunderstand the message, that we don't miss the spiritual lesson. And Jesus loved these aphorisms, these, these proverbs. He loved to give maxims, whatever you call it. Pithy sayings that carry the weight of the message in brief compass. And here it is. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other man, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this is when, for the first time, those listening discovered that their heroes were villains in this story of Jesus. It was a shock. (laughs) How can you justify a tax collector? God justifies all sinners the same way. Through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. And that includes you. Think of the most righteous person that ever lived. They need as much grace as a mass murderer or anyone else that you think is the scum of society. Oh, Jesus made it abundantly clear. The guy confident of his own righteousness went home without any. And it's exactly what Pastor Doug read from Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. In heart, it's a matter of the heart. Both were passionate in their prayers, but their prayers exposed their hearts. And the pure in heart shall see God. And unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, which was merely outward in many of them, not all of them, unless your religion is heart religion. Unless you believe in Christ from your heart, you don't have a chance. Because it's not based on what you do, it's based on what Christ has done. Think of it this way, one stood on his own merits and left the temple without pardon while the other begged God for mercy and Jesus called him justified. Now who do you want to be? It's not their standing in society, but it's their bowing before God. It's not the position they held, but it's the prayers they offered. And brokenness, penitence, is the only path to pardon and peace. I am the sinner. This is so important because as Jesus intimated, this is a familiar proverb in Scripture. You can go all the way back to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 21, um, 26, where you read these words, the lowly will be exalted, but the exalted will be made low. In Psalm 138, it sounds in similar fashion. The Lord is lofty. He looks kindly on the lowly. And then Proverbs chapter 3 that talks about the mockers will be mocked, but God will give grace to the humble. By the way, the way that's written in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, is the exact way it's quoted in the New Testament book of James chapter uh, 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's at least six times that that is found both in Old and New Testament because this is a really important lesson. He resists the proud, but those who've been humbled by their sin and cry for mercy receive justification from Jesus Christ. And Pharisees are found in every age, in every land, and in every church. Hard to see him from the outside. But man looks on the outward appearance. God sees the heart. And so I urge you, see your sin today in light of the glorious righteousness of Jesus, the perfection of God. Realize that there's nowhere else to turn except to the cross and the mercy of God displayed there for your sin and mine. And cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I don't know the hearts of others, but I know mine. And I need you. Oh, I need you. And when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Let's pray. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Those of us who have bowed the knee to Christ and have trusted you as Lord and Savior have eternal life that can never be taken from us. But on the other hand, Lord, we act as though we don't possess it. And we pray as though we are not in your presence. then Lord there are some who think they have it but never in their heart have they truly turned to you and this is a parable about the heart I pray this morning Lord that we would each look within only so that we might look above and find mercy at the cross Well, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed spend some time doing business with God, please.